from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gigillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig with details. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. Okay, I've got a question for you. What? Because I know this is like, this would be a a challenge. I was just eating one of my chocolate orange truffles. Mm -hmm. Delicious. (laughs) Um, And it's, I was like, man, this is, I really try to savor them because we got like six when we were in California. Mm-hmm. Fancy chocolates, orange truffle, one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. And you strongly dislike chocolate plus almost anything else but peanut butter, especially fruit. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't like orange. I don't like mint and chocolate. But here's what I was thinking. I was like, man, this would be my scene if there was like a zombie apocalypse and I hadn't had this would be these would be my Twinkies, right? Oh, yeah. From Zombieland. You'd be looking for it. If dark. I found a chocolate orange truffle mm-hmm. and ate it after like, you know, six months of not having, of, you know, having to eat rats mm-hmm. and whatever canned beans I could find. Yeah. I'd be like, this is <laughs> this is what it was all about. This rats is heaven. And beans. <laughs> rats and beans. 
So if there was a zombie apocalypse and you hadn't had like human food, mm-hmm. you know, you've been eating dog food and, oh. you know, whatever water you can scrape out of a gutter, scrape out of a gutter. <laughs> what a dismal future you have planned for me. But then you finally found like a chocolate orange truffle. Uh-huh. Would it be delectable to you or would you be like, God damn it? I mean, it would. I would be mad. Absolutely, <laughs> I would be like, "Wow, this is sort of a uh, what's that thing where they say it's like a gift with the left hand or something? Where it's not really a gift, it's actually a curse. It's like a monkey paw thing. Uh huh. Where it's like he'll get sort of what you want, but not really. But the version you hate. All right. So I don't know. I I would still eat it certainly. Okay. But I, I would I begrudge it for not being a delicious peanut butter confection or something with caramel, perhaps. Or a buttercream even so would be acceptable. You've been eating dog food and you're still in the back of your mind going to be like, well, this could be a better chocolate than what I got. I'm a spoiled bitch. What can I say? <laughs> All right. Fair. It's good that you know yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I like what I like. I don't care what conditions. Wow. I'm living in. <laughs> Which brings us to today's story. Oh, well, (laughs) now that you say that, I sound crazy. Uh, Not crazy, just entitled. Okay, well, fair enough. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) No, well, we're so glad to be back uh, to our usual Ridiculous Romance show after spending all that time in the crypty bogs and... Mm -hmm. and, uh, Spooky attics. Spooky attics. Oh. I uh, got possessed by those demons briefly. I know. That was really messy around the house. It happens all the time. Got to scrub all those blood messages off the wall. But uh, but we're back to straight history now. <laughs> straight history. Uh-huh. Start kicking it off with a lesbian story. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I guess non-supernatural. Okay. Natural. Natural, Natural history. Normal history. <laughs> yeah. This story takes place in the 1880s. When two Apache warriors, Lozen and Tadaste, came together over a struggle against U.S. forces who were working to take their land and force them onto reservations. Mm. And I do want to say right now, if you've looked at the title of the episode, <laughs> it's Lozen and Tadaste. It's not, I don't know, what white person heard this woman's name and wrote it <laughs> and spelled it like they did. But it's the pronunciations I found are Tadaste not Dateste. Well, while sources on their actual romance are sparse, these two shared an intimate love for each other in the midst of constant war. They fought alongside some of the most renowned Apache leaders in history, like Victorio and Geronimo, and they used their brilliance, strength, and special abilities to save Apache lives for decades. Oof, this one's so exciting. Yes. Let's do it. All right. Hey there, friends, come listen well. Eli and Diana got some stories to tell. There's no matchmaking or romantic tips. It's just about ridiculous relationships. A lover might be any type of person at all. An abstract concept or a concrete wall. But if there's a story worth a second glance, we'll put it in a show, Ridiculous Romance. A production of iHeartRadio. In the mid-1800s, there were at least seven Apache bands spread across an area known as Apacheria in a region that we now know as eastern Arizona and more or less southwest New Mexico. Now, one of these bands was called the Chihene Apache, and they were also known as the Red Paint People because of the red band of clay paint they wore on their faces during ceremonies. 
This was a matriarchal culture, and according to a quote on History.com from Joey Padilla, the medicine man from the Mescalero Apache Reservation in New Mexico, quote, The Apaches always had a woman with them. She stood right behind the man with a knife or a gun. If the man went down, you had to deal with the woman, too. Behind every great man <laughs> yeah. is a woman with a knife. <laughs> a woman with a knife. <laughs> exactly. So watch the fucking back. <laughs> now, around 1840, a girl was born here who would become known as Lozen. Lozen's brother was Victorio, and he would grow up to be the chief. And the two of them grew up best buds because Lozen was just basically the ultimate badass. Oh, yeah. Her name means dexterous horse thief <laughs> because, uh, you guessed it, I wonder why. she was a dexterous horse thief. Yeah. <laughs> so she would sneak into enemy camps totally undetected and, like, sneak back out with all their horses, yeah. which was partly gotcha. a hilarious prank right. and partly a brilliant strategy right. <laughs> of tactics. Because now we got horses and, and you, you don't. don't. So Lozen was a badass. She was just incredibly skilled at a bunch of different things. And she is considered by some to have been a two-spirited person. In a Bustle article, Aaron Wise from the Jicaria Apache says that, quote, Two-spirit is a name for people in indigenous culture who carry the duality between the sacred feminine and sacred masculine within them. Though definitions vary per indigenous nation and person. Yeah, uh, this is interesting because I always you know, had a had a very cursory understanding of what yeah. two-spirited was and often compared it to non-binary or mm -hmm. gender fluid or something like that. But apparently within the different cultures, it can mean a number of different things. Oh, okay. uh, it doesn't really have a direct translation mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, how you and I might talk about gender in mm -hmm. our culture. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Now, Wise writes, quote, I was told my entire life that there were no Apache women who were that way. And Encyclopedia.com says that female-bodied, two-spirit status was never documented among the Apaches. But, quote, Lozen's career parallels those of such women in other tribes. Basically, Lozen just crushed gender norms. Yeah. Like, that's kind of what it boils down to. In the Qualia Folk Encyclopedia of Gay Folklife, author Mickey Weems says that Lozen just never cared about the traditional roles of Apache women. She was tough and, quote, more masculine than other men in her tribe. And when she wasn't out on a raid, she was just roughhousing with the other guys and earning their respect as an athlete. Okay. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, when she was 12, she went through the usual puberty rites, which included a feast before her being sent into the mountains. Mm -hmm. And according to oral history... She gained supernatural powers on this journey, the ability to heal wounds and to locate enemy armies. That's pretty dope. Oh, yeah. A compass for your enemies. Right, right. <laughs> and this, from what I could tell, these kinds of skills were typically more for men. Okay. Like generally you'd have medicine men oh, more right, often than sure. medicine women. And so that was another way that she was kind of shaking things up. Hmm. Yeah, and she became an incredible medicine woman with this vast knowledge of the medicinal properties of plants and minerals. But she didn't just go out with her people to heal them. 
She was also one of the most badass warriors they had. She could ride, fight, shoot, rope, and steal with the best of them. And her detection powers saved their asses time and time again. I bet it got to a point where they're like, I ain't going out unless Lozen's right. coming. <laughs> Lozen's <laughs> sick. Okay, guess we're staying home tonight. <laughs> well, snow day. Eating leftovers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> How would you have, at 12 years old, if someone was like, okay, Diana, we're going to have a big feast, mm-hmm. and then you're going off to the mountains. Right. You're going to go off to Stone Mountain all by yourself. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, you got to take care of yourself for a week and make uh-huh. your way back home. How would you have done? I mean, I would have been fine. <laughs> I guess in <laughs> well, Stone I just Mountain. admitted that if I was eating rats, I would still begrudge a dark <laughs> chocolate orange truffle coming my way. That makes me think you wouldn't be fine. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. So you would not. Probably would not do You great. would not fare well. I think, you know what? I'm torn. I don't okay. think, I think I would complain about it a lot, but I do think <laughs> that I would come through. <laughs> I think I would come through. I have had to take care uh-huh. of myself many a time in the past. So you would come back with like dirt all over you, blood war paint on your face. Mm-hmm. Like you've murdered your way back home again. <laughs> and you'd be like, that fucking sucked, and I want a latte <laughs> right now. Exactly. Unlike Lozen, who was probably like, that was hella good time. Yeah. Let's do it again. <laughs> I feel alive. Annual trip. Uh-huh. I would be like, I'm going to go chill by the fire. Uh-huh. All y'all owe me one meal. <laughs> Is it someone's job in our band of people to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine a couple more times? Because I'm willing to volunteer. That is clearly my purpose. <laughs> All right. Well. History.com cites Harlan Geronimo, who's the great-grandson of Geronimo, as saying that, quote, Lozen would lift her hands and walk in a circle until the veins in her arms turned dark blue, indicating the direction from which the enemy would approach. Mm. Now, Wise writes in their article that in ceremony, quote, Lozen would sing, extend her arms, and turn in a circle until her palms tingled. And then that's what told her which direction the enemies were in. Mm-hmm. So whether or not her hands were actually changing color or not. Right, 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 right. She turned around and was like, I got a feeling they're over there. Mm-hmm. And she was right often enough right. that, like you said, everyone was like, we got to get Lozen out here. Yeah. They really respected this power that she had. She would pray to the Apache's highest deity, Usen, for guidance. And once they knew where the enemies were, and she also apparently knew how far away they were, She was also a head strategist and counselor and fighter in the battles that would follow. Her brother, Chief Victorio, said of her, quote, Lozen is as my right hand, strong as a man, braver than most, and cunning in strategy. Lozen is a shield to her people. Mm, Lozen. Super cool. Although, I do want to point out to Chief Victorio and everyone that if a woman is as strong as a man, she's as strong as a woman woman. (laughs) because that's how strong a woman is. So it's like, you know, uh, take the compliment, but also, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. just check your verbiage. Check yourself. (laughs) That's why it should be by weight. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) There's some very big women out there who could beat the shit out of a small man. (laughs) Look, I know some small women out there who could beat the shit out of a large man, quite That's frankly. That's true. So. Some, some small, small men and women can sometimes be uh-huh. the scariest fighters that you'll ever be up against. You regularly physically overpower me, and I, I don't like it. Because we won't give up. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> We're like little terriers. <laughs> Once the fight begins, <laughs> I got to win or I'm dead. <laughs> That's it. I got two choices. That's true. 
So I got to just grab on your ankles with my teeth. <laughs> Damn. I got to watch my ankles. Yeah, watch out. Yeah, right. Like my teeth can handle that. <laughs> I, yeah, no, your teeth are Maybe terrible. after my extensive are, dental work, yeah. <laughs> then you need to watch your ankles. Your teeth are your biggest weakness. <laughs> <laughs> if I can't escape you, I go for the teeth. Wow. <laughs> no, please don't go for my teeth. It's already so expensive. <laughs> now, not far from the Chehene Apache, around 1860, Tadaste was born into the Chokanan band of Apaches. And less is written about her life growing up, but she was also a warrior since youth. NewMexicoNomad.com says that her people remember her as a great hunter and fighter. Her chief was a guy named Cochise, and he was one of the most noted Apache leaders to resist Western intrusions in the 1800s. His name meant having the quality or strength of an oak because mm. he was like a big, solid, strong as hell dude. Right. And now Cochise is slang for the ultimate badass in a biker gang. <laughs> I had never heard this before. I had heard Cochise somewhere. Like... It was like a you heard it as like a California like go yeah, get them, coaches. Like, yeah, something like that. Okay, okay, coaches, something like that. Makes sense. And I didn't know what it meant tough. really, but I mean, pretty amazing to be a slang word for the ultimate badass. Yeah, when people say like you're a real Diana in the future, they're just gonna mean you got bad teeth. Wow, rude, <laughs> future folk. I, I disagree with how you, I disapprove of how you're using my name. <sighs> but I guess you don't get to choose. Well. How they remember you. Anyway, <laughs> so Cochise was dope. And Tadaste rode with him, helping to push back settlers and soldiers who were coming over from the east. Now, unlike Lozen, Tadaste put effort into her feminine appearance. She was well-groomed. She dressed in feminine attire, uh, despite her also being a great fighter. She just, she liked to look good. It's like she, Commander Liwaway. Oh, yeah. Remember, yeah, totally. she was always like, let me look good. Right. Tadaste, like it said that she always wore her hair out, her hair down, but it was always brushed. Mm -hmm. uh, she always just like wanted to present herself as very feminine. And why not? Right. <laughs> now, Lozen never married or had any children, but Tadaste married young to a warrior named Anandia, and they had several children together. She and her husband rode together during battles, and it was said that she was a better rider than most of the men in her tribe. Tadaste was also fluent in English, and she was a skilled translator and an effective mediator with the U.S. Cavalry. Nice. So we've got these two badass women out here kicking ass, taking names. But Lozen and her brother had to deal with the U.S. government setting up reservations. And shockingly, spoiler alert, it did not go in their favor. Nah, but our history with that is so cool and chill. But it did give Lozen a chance to be a badass, and eventually it led to her and Tadaste meeting. And we will hear about that right after this. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Classes in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show, everybody. So in 1871, the U.S. government offered Victorio and Cochise both reservation land at Warm Springs, New Mexico. And Victorio was like, mm, oh, okay, hold up. Let me just go check with my sister. <laughs> yeah. My right hand and I need to confer. Right. We don't do nothing without asking Lozen. <laughs> That's right. And he went back to Lozen. He's like, hey, you know, do you think this is a good idea to take this prop, you know, take this land from the government or right. whatever? She's basically like, I mean, no, I don't trust the U.S. government. <laughs> right, probably sir, not. But what are our other choices? You know, yeah. it's kind of we're kind of David I mean, and Goliath over here. Right. And we don't need to go into the whole history here. But of course, the U.S. was moving in. They were colonizing the Western Plains. They all saw this happening and they were like, there, it might be best if we kind of take a deal early on. Right. Rather than getting you know, into a fighting later, getting killed and then getting nothing mm -hmm. left over. Yeah. Yeah. And Victoria was like, OK, great point. And he goes back to the U.S. government, says, we'll take it. Well, guess what? It did not work out so great because soon after they moved to Warm Springs, 
they got moved again to a totally different reservation. In December of 1872, President Ulysses S. Grant established the San Carlos Apache Reservation. And this place was notoriously horrible. Oh, no. First, the U.S. government couldn't find anyone good to run it. They, they asked people and a bunch of people turned it down over and over and over again. Also, the U.S. Army there were incredibly cruel to the indigenous people that lived there. Sometimes they would torture or kill Apaches just for sport. Mm. Now, politicians also, in setting this reservation up, made no effort to learn the difference between the various tribes in the region and just lumped them all together. So you had some bands of Apaches that were enemies living right up against each other. Oh, Lord. And while Apaches were supposed to be fed and housed on the reservation, a lot of their caretakers were never even given the federal money that was set aside for them. So they're like, hey, too bad, so sad, I, I can't feed you. So everyone just suffered. There wasn't enough grass for livestock to graze. There wasn't game to hunt. The water was bad. It was hot, overcrowded, and there were malaria outbreaks, which the Apache had barely experienced before that. So it was just an awful, terrible, horrible place. And this is where Victorio, Lozen, and their band of Apaches were sent to live in the mid-1870s. Now, without getting too deep into the history here, Victorio was a great leader, and he negotiated a lot with the American and Mexican armies. Mm -hmm. So he knew this place was bullshit. He's like, this is not what we talked about. Right. <laughs> not one time did I say malaria was A-OK with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Could you throw in some malaria? The then we'll do it. In the contract where I signed off on Yeah. It. And in 1876, he and Lozen and their Apaches just got the fuck out of there. Right. They were like, you know what? We're not living here. So they packed up their shit and they just walked away. <laughs> and army patrols were like, no, you can't leave because actually you're a prisoner. <laughs> so they kind of surrounded them as they moved west and forced them to another reservation near Ojo Caliente in northern New Mexico. They were classified as prisoners of war, just sitting, waiting for the U.S. Army to like decide what to do with them. Right. Two years of uncertainty passed, and rumors started circulating that they were going to be moved back to San Carlos, that worst reservation ever that they had left in the first place. So Victoria, of course, was pissed about that. He's like, no, bitch, I said I would not accept this. Right. So he probably looked looked over at Lozen and was like, hmm? And she gave him like a solemn little nod, (laughs) like Uh Robert Redford meme, like, yes, let's do it. And in the autumn of 1879, he declared war. Victorio was facing the entire might of the U.S. Army, which obviously was a lot. Mm -hmm. But the Apaches still had a few major advantages. They knew the terrain. They were more accustomed to traveling long distances without rest or food or water. And plus, the white settlers had plenty of horses for Lozen to steal. (laughs) The Apaches would just ride their horses hard until they were too tired, and then they would just trade them out. They'd just slip into somebody's camp, steal their horses, and they would keep Keep going. going. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the U.S. Army only had their regular-ass horses that were still tired, and they couldn't keep up. Mm. But battles were difficult, and the Apaches had to constantly stay moving. Victorio did sometimes raid ranches, and he killed ranchers and miners that had settled on Apache lands. And, of course, the U.S. government inflated this 
and made him seem like, you know, just the butcher of the West. Right. Like he's out there just trying to kill everyone he can get his hands on. Savage or something. Right, right. But HistoryNet.com says that while at the time the New York Times claimed that Victorio killed 400 civilians, the real number is likely far smaller. Right. Again, just propaganda, Mm -hmm. trying to make these people look like we need we need to go in and civilize them. You know, right. That was the message they were always trying to push. But between battles, Lozen was out there saving everyone's asses constantly. One account from a man named James Kawakla, who was a child at the time, said that at one point, their band was pressed up against the Rio Grande with U.S. forces closing in. Kawakla wrote, quote, I saw a magnificent woman on a beautiful horse, Lozen, sister of Victorio. And she held her rifle high over her head and a glint of light sparkled against her boot as she kicked her horse into action. The horse reared and charged into the river. Lozen turned him upstream, and they swam across to the other side. The rest of the women and children followed her into the raging river, and soon all of them had made it safely to the other side. Lozen told Kawakla's mother to take charge, and then returned across the river to join the other warriors in battle. Awesome. So cool. So cool. She was like, listen, ladies, let's go, girls. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. I hope she didn't say that. Just kidding. But she girls definitely get it like, done. Insp- <laughs> girls get it done. <laughs> but she definitely like, inspired them. Oh yeah. You know to to brave this oh, terrifying God. river. There, can you imagine standing there at the Rio Grande River? It's like raging and surging. It's a huge ass river, mm-hmm. and you're like easily could drown. They're gonna kill us if they catch up to us, mm-hmm. or I can cross the water, or I can drown in this river. Right. And Lozen was just like. Follow me. I got this. Mm-hmm. Watch. I'll show you how it's done. We can do if I can do it, you can do yeah. it. Yeah. And they're like, You're way cooler than me, but I guess I I'll know, try. Right? <laughs> I bet a lot of them are like, There's a lot you can do that I cannot do, ma'am. <laughs> in Eve Ball's book, In the Days of Victorio, she describes Lozen helping a pregnant woman in their band who was about to give birth. As the Apaches pressed forward, Lozen stayed back and helped this woman find a hidden place in enemy territory and helped her quietly deliver the baby without getting caught. It's like the scene in The Quiet Place. (laughs) Right. Yes, except the monsters are white people. Right, well. well. (laughs) If you can imagine that. What? (laughs) Uh, The next morning, they snuck out and made for the river, just her and this woman and her one-day-old baby. All also, they had, that woman had just given birth. Oh, I know, she right? Had to, like sneak out around. Yeah, that, come on, she's that's tough crazy. as hell too. All they had on them was a blanket, Lozen's rifle, and Lozen's knife. So Lozen goes down to the river, starts chopping off willow shoots, and builds a little cradle for the baby. Of course, sure, of course. <laughs> like that's exactly what I would do uh-huh. in that situation. <laughs> it's the first thing I would think of. Then she told the mom, like, hang on, I got to BRB real quick. We're running out of food. Mm. There were enemies all around them, so she couldn't risk firing her rifle to hunt. So Lozen did what Eve Ball calls, quote, a feat that few men would undertake. And she went out and she wrestled and killed a longhorn bull with nothing but one empty hand and a knife in the other. <laughs> I mean, you think she jumped out of the bushes, just like punched him in the face. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine she was probably like, I'm sorry I have to do this, but I'm going to kill you and eat you. Uh, (laughs) 
I mean, come on. That thing is huge. You've seen the horns on that thing. So Lozen and this new mother and this newborn, they had to leave the river, but neither of them had a water jug and it would be too far to go on foot without one. So Lozen's probably like rolling her eyes like, okay, hang on. Let me go handle this too right quick. (laughs) I'll go get us a horse. Damn. (laughs) And she cut a bridle from the hide of the longhorn. And then she gave the woman her rifle and then jumped into the river to go steal a horse from the Mexican army on the other side. (laughs) Before long, she found a group of Mexican soldiers and she waited until nightfall. She picked out a big, powerful, restless horse, snuck up to it. She tied the bridle to its snout. But when she cut the horse's hobbles, it reared up and made a loud noise. And the Mexican soldiers woke up and realized they were being robbed. But Lozen jumped on the horse's back turned its head towards the river, and started riding. Bullets whizzing past her as she rode the horse straight into the river, crossing to safety and out of range of gunfire. <sighs> By morning, the two women were miles away. Uh, amazing. Incredible Such an adventure. Shit. Incredible shit. Right? And I also feel like she's deserved some royalties from many films who have done this exact same <laughs> True scene <laughs> like i was thinking immediately of the mask of zorro when he goes and gets his the black horse that he right. becomes really well known for right he's he goes and steals it from all these like it's mexican like exactly soldiers exactly this and right they're, uh, yeah they're not asleep <laughs> they're like partying or something but it's the same he's like shh be quiet and he's like sneaking around and then the horse was like <laughs> and they all get it they're all like oh shit, so the horse down. the horse was like what now he was like, <laughs> okay, thank you. Just want to make sure I have a good horse sound effect I can use later. <laughs> <Yeah, for> later. <laughs> <laughs> so Victorio is often credited as being one of the greatest Apache military strategists of all time. And History Net says that, quote, no Western American Indian chief received shabbier treatment from the U.S. government than Victorio. And no one demonstrated a greater mastery of guerrilla warfare. Mm. He would hit them hard and keep moving. Yeah, they had to keep moving. They really had nowhere they could stay. So if the if U.S. forces were ever catching up, they knew exactly where to hide. Mm-hmm. They would ambush them, or they would just position themselves in the mountains in certain ways where they were totally, you know, unreachable. Yeah, really, really impressive strategic moves. Yeah, but it wouldn't last forever. By 1880, he and Lozen had the U.S. and Mexican armies both hunting them down. When Lozen dropped the mother and child off safely at a reservation, she learned then that Victorio and most of his warriors had been defeated by Mexican forces. James K. Wakeless says in Eve Ball's book that he was the sole survivor of the massacre at Tres Castillos, which was Victorio's last stand. He said that after firing his last bullet, Victorio took his own life rather than surrender. History.com says that his death made him a martyr and the Apaches' resolve was fortified. Mm. One of the great Apache leaders who stepped up afterwards was Geronimo. And Geronimo had a particular warrior running with him. Somebody was helping him fight and translating their negotiations into English. Oh, really? None other than Tadaste. Oh, hey, girl. How you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Where you been? So Lozen rushed back to help her surviving people escape and soon was helping Geronimo escape from San Carlos in 1885. She was ready for vengeance for her brother's death, and she brought deadly aid to Geronimo's cause. But this is also where she met Tadaste, and we're going to hear about their love for each other right after this. 
from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. We started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. (laughs) You couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the LA Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host. Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation. I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. 
I'm very jealous <laughs> of your generation yeah. that didn't have to deal with Instagram and that. Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. We create magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show. So Geronimo and his people, including Tadaste, had been shipped off to San Carlos, the worst reservation that we talked about earlier. Lozen followed her new chief, Nana, who was another renowned Apache leader who was kicking ass well into his 70s. Mm. Uh, and they went to regroup with Geronimo's forces to try and get some action going. Nana, uh, there's, there's a lot written about him. He was kind of a protege under Victorio, even though he was older than him. Oh. And after Victorio died, everyone was kind of like, hey, Nana, you, you're taking over, right? Yeah. And he was like, all right, I guess I will. And as long he had, as I like, have the same right hand. <laughs> right. And he had like a bad leg. Mm. And so everyone's like, this guy with a with a bum leg over 70 years old was like outwitting and outmaneuvering and outfighting the U.S. Army. Wow. And it was pretty awesome. That's cool. Yeah. In the book, The Woman in the Shaman's Body, author Barbara Tedlock calls Tadaste and Lozen friends and lovers who worked as messengers and warriors with Geronimo's band of Apaches. Tadaste was still married to Anandia, but Tedlock writes she was bisexual. And when she met Lozen, sparks started flying. They just had so much in common. They were both skilled writers, fighters, and strategists. Mm -hmm. They probably bonded over, like, talked about the sharpness of their knives. Sure. Or what kind of horses they like to steal <laughs> best. She's like, oh my God, so this one time I had this pregnant lady and I had to, like, go across the river and steal a Mexican horse and then ride back over and get her the hell out of there. It was crazy. Wow, girl, <laughs> that is so cool. Right? Meanwhile, I've just been negotiating with the U.S. government this whole time. <laughs> Sounds like even scarier. I know. Than stealing horses. <laughs> Seriously. Now, on May 17th of 1885, the Apaches overpowered the reservation's commanding officer, Britton Davis, and fled the reservation. Once again, the Apaches had a real advantage of knowing and surviving the southwestern terrain. But U.S. forces under General George Crook had employed around 100 Apache scouts who knew how to find the mountain hideouts where Geronimo and his people were trying to rest. Mm. And Geronimo, of course, is heartbroken that Apaches were siding with U.S. forces to root him out. Right, right. That felt like a real betrayal. Real betrayal, right. But, of course, Geronimo had a few secret weapons of his own, notably Tadaste and Lozen. Geronimo was able to stay a step ahead of U.S. forces because Lozen used her special powers to know exactly where the enemy was coming from. She stretched her hands out to the sky and said a prayer poem, which was translated in Eve Ball's book in the days of Victoria. So let's go down to Poetry Corner and hear Lozen's prayer. Upon this earth on which we live, Usin has power. This power is mine. For locating the enemy, I search for that enemy, which only us and the great can show to me. She would turn in a circle, her palms tingled, and she knew which way to look. The Apaches say that this kept Geronimo and his forces alive, and some believe that if Lozen had been with Victorio at Tres Castillos, he would not have been ambushed and defeated. Mm. I mean, they really believed in this. Again, she, she, was, she was right often enough. And they were like, this 
this is some real magic. This is legit. Yeah. Even if you get it wrong sometimes, if you're right seven times out of 10, I mean, hell, five times out of 10, I'm going to be like, that'd be pretty good. Even half. I I think so. Yeah. I mean. That's worth it. That's a lot better than the no times I got when I guessed. (laughs) I didn't find a single one of Geronimo's enemies. (laughs) Or, you know, there's some magic happening. Or there's some magic happening. That might, that could be true. I'm not, I'm not here to say it isn't. Speculation station. It was magic. Hey, I'm into that. (laughs) Fully magic. (laughs) Now, Geronimo's forces were completely undefeated in battle, but they were tired and hungry and homesick after months of just running and fighting. Encyclopedia.com says that Apaches describe Lozen and Tadaste as, quote, regular companions at this time, and that in the 1930s, Apache informants told anthropologist Morris Oppler about two unnamed women who had a sexual relationship— they are believed undoubtedly to be Lozen and Tadaste. Mm-hmm. Now, Tadaste was in her mid-20s at this time. Lozen was about 20 years older than her. But they were inseparable, both on and off the battlefield. They also continued their work as negotiators under Geronimo. In March of 1886, he decided it was time to negotiate a surrender. They were still undefeated, but... They were exhausted. They couldn't keep running forever. He could tell the end was in sight. Mm -hmm. Better to have a say in how it will end. Yeah. So let's go make a table and then get a seat at it right quick. So Lozen and Tadaste arranged a conference with General Crook. They met in the Sierra Madre Mountains just south of the U.S.-Mexico border, a little neutral territory there. Mm -hmm. And they had negotiations for three days. Photographer C.S. Fly who, along with his wife Mary, are some of the most prolific photographers of the Old West, got Geronimo to stand for about 15 pictures during this time. Mm. And these are the only known pictures of an American Indian who was currently at war with the U.S. Wow. Lozen and Tadaste kept negotiations going, and eventually they arranged some terms with Crook and brought those back to Geronimo. He was just south of the Mexican border, and he agreed and said that he would cross the river and sign in the morning. But that night, a U.S. soldier who sold Geronimo some whiskey told him, hey man, no, 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 no. As soon as y'all cross the U.S. border, they're going to kill all y'all. Wow. It's over. Now, Geronimo, Tadaste, Lozen, they all had plenty of reason to believe that the U.S. government wouldn't keep their word. So the three of them, along with nearly 40 of their followers slipped away during the night. Well, that really pissed off the U.S. government. Right. Crook felt like he had failed, Mm. so he requested to be relieved of this mission to deal with Geronimo um, and was eventually replaced with General Nelson Miles, who sent a huge expedition out to find them. History.com says they were pursued by 5,000 U.S. soldiers, which was nearly a quarter of the U.S. standing army at the time. Can you imagine if a quarter of the U.S. army was after you? No. I mean, like you like on one hand, I'm like, wow, I must be real special, (laughs) you know? Well, and there's like 40 of them, 5,000 people to catch 40 of them. That's how badass they were, though. They were like a real scary enemy. Yeah, they were the U.S. Army. Absolutely. Now, me, I don't think I'd be a scary enemy to have to a quarter (laughs) of the U.S. Army. Yeah, they'd be like, just go for the teeth. (laughs) Just go for the teeth. They said it right here on their podcast. (laughs) Now, for nearly five months. Lozen and Tadaste helped Geronimo evade capture. But by August, they were once again tired, hungry, and homesick. 
In September, U.S. soldiers caught up with them in Mexico. And to save the lives of his remaining people, Geronimo lay down his rifle, becoming the last American Indian leader to formally surrender to the U.S. military. Tadaste and Lozen once again headed up negotiations for this surrender, and they agreed that they would go into exile for two years on a Florida reservation before being allowed to return to the West. But guess what? This was, in the words of NewMexicoNomad.com, quote, a deliberate, calculated lie. Man! Lozen and Tadaste were in the first group who was sent to Florida as a good-faith gesture to the U.S., but there was no intention of letting them return home after two years. They ended up in Fort Pickens in Pensacola, Florida, where Washington Post reports that, quote, the Apache died like flies at frost time. Hmm. Meanwhile, white businessmen used Geronimo as a tourist attraction, charging visitors to come see this bloodthirsty Indian warrior, uh, you know, while he's locked up in his cell. Mm, weird. A lot of these Apaches still had children back in the reservations in Arizona. Mm. And the U.S. government came in and was like, well, we'll go pick up your kids and we'll send them to a school in Pennsylvania. Oh, God. Well, at that school, more than a third of those children died very quickly of tuberculosis. Oh, man. Yeah. Lozen and Tadaste maintained their relationship while imprisoned. And during this time, Tadaste divorced her husband, Anandia. But in 1888, many of the Apaches were relocated to the Mount Vernon barracks in Alabama. And it seems this is where they were separated. Between 1877 and 1880, Lozen lost her brother, her homeland, most of her people while fighting with the U.S. and Mexico. And now in Alabama, she lost the woman she loved. And thousands of miles from her home, she, like nearly a quarter of the Apaches at Mount Vernon, contracted tuberculosis and died in 1889. Tadaste was moved to Fort Marion in St. Augustine and was confined as a POW there for eight more years. During this time, she survived pneumonia and tuberculosis. After these eight years, she was moved to Fort Sill, Oklahoma, along with Geronimo and many others. And she remained a prisoner there for another 19 years. Although these prisoners, some of them were offered some land. Um, they kind of, it was more like the reservation where they like weren't allowed to leave, but they kind of lived a little with a little more freedom, if you can call that freedom. Mm. Um, after these 19 years were up in 1919, she was offered the choice to either stay in Fort Sill and be given land to live there or return to the West. And she chose the West at the Muscalero Apache Reservation in New Mexico. And there she remarried an Apache scout named Cooney. And it's said that she never spoke English again. Understandable. I cannot blame her. Yeah. And though she did live well into the modern era, she wore only traditional Apache clothing. She passed away in 1955 at over 90 years old. She was interviewed by Eve Ball before her death. And Eve wrote, quote, Tadaste, to the end of her life, mourned Lozen. Hmm. Mickey Weems says that biographies on Lozen and Tadaste are sparse in their details and tend to downplay their affection for each other. Not an unusual thing. Yeah. They were roommates. They were roommates. Best friends. They were regular companions. Uh-huh. There's one remaining photograph of Lozen and Tadaste sitting together. 
But biographical sources tend to even cut that picture in half and portray them separately. But the evidence is clear that these two loved each other very much. Mickey says that their resemblance to a, quote, lesbian butch femme relationship has elevated the couple to iconic status in the two-spirit community, who have reintegrated the visual and biographical images of Lozen and Tadaste so that they are once again reunited. That's nice. It is nice. Yeah. It's really fascinating the way this uh, their story's kind of been recaptured and being told again more right. seemingly more accurately now. Mm-hmm. And if you want more information about these two, Eve Ball's book In the Days of Victorio is really fascinating. Um, she talks to her and a lot of people from this era, and there are just some really deep stories there. Um, and then Aaron Wise says on that Bustle article that you can check out seedingsovereignty.org to learn more about two-spirit warriors from history and support the work that they're doing. Oh, nice. So I thought those are really, really interesting sources. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, haven't spoken to these people, but uh, but I love their work. Right. Um, and there's some really fascinating history here. Yeah. It, it, it took some effort to try and just stick to Tadaste and Lozen's story, mm-hmm. because if you get into what was Victorio's War, is mm-hmm. what it was called, uh, after they left the reservation, and he was just like, I've had it. Mm-hmm. Look into it because it's a really fascinating history. Um, a lot about Geronimo as well, who, of course, was his own sort of figure in history. Geronimo, I read, was really popularized by uh, U.S. propagandists yeah. as a figure. And that's kind of why we know him so well. Mm-hmm. But I was reading that, you know, Victorio and Nana were actually better generals um, and kind of had more of an impact mm-hmm. on the Apache back in the day than even Geronimo did. Um, Geronimo was just kind of the last one. Hmm. Um, but uh, still, just a fascinating history. Worth it's funny who they picked to to decide to put into the zeitgeist yeah. sometimes. Well, they had him. You know, yeah, he was a why, prisoner. Because you could go see him, so they yeah. had to build a big story around him yeah. so that you would want to go see him and pay yeah. your little quarter or whatever. And he, you know, he he continued to negotiate and, and work with the U.S. He marched in uh, Theodore Roosevelt's inauguration in 1905. Geronimo was there. Kind of, you know, he tried to be this symbol of like, can we just stop killing each other and get along a little bit here, um, you know, to an arguable degree of success. But uh, but he was out there trying. I mean, there are still Native Americans today. So I suppose that is a good thing that he managed to not have a total genocide of every tribe. Right. Right. Which could be easily could have been the outcome. But It it is really upsetting that it's like only concessions were ever made by them. Yeah. The, the U.S. government didn't make any concessions. No. About shit. Every time they said they did, it was a blatant lie. And they were just like, let me put you on this free-range prison. Yeah. Or a real prison. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's just really galling. It's hey, we really need the land maddening. you got, but there's a way better one over here we're going to send you to. Sure. And they get there and there's like no grass. Yeah, because that's why the U.S. government didn't want it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's just crazy to be... Yeah. And we had talked in past episodes about how... The killing of the buffalo was right. such a concerted effort to be like, we don't want you to have food to eat. Yeah. We're really trying to, like, starve you out. Right. Um, it's just really ugh, just a sad blight, I guess, yeah. on, on our on us. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not a fun part of history. No. Nope. But. But I do love these two badass ladies. These two are awesome. They're very up. cool people. And what a, a beautiful little love story. I wish mm-hmm. there was a little bit more about them, but uh, just knowing that they were out there 
and cared so much for each other yeah. in the face of all this chaos mm-hmm. uh, it has some uh, some inspirational quality to it, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. It's sweet. I hope you all enjoyed this story. Yeah, let us know what you thought. Yeah, please do go look more into this kind of part of history because there's, there's only so much we have time for here, but there's so much to know. Yeah. And it is valuable, I think. So yeah, let us know what you thought. Our email is ridicromance at gmail.com. You can find us on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Great. It's Eli. I'm at Dynamite Boom. And the show is at Romance. Yes, and we really appreciate you spending your time with us today. We Me love too. you guys. Yeah. We'll see you next time. So long. So long, friends. It's time to go. Thanks for listening to our show. Tell your friends, neighbors, uncles, and aunts to listen to our show, Ridiculous Romance. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment... Oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.